0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting with Bruce Kelly, and our sponsor this episode is Schwab Asset Management. Thank you for that. We are talking today, we're going to start talking a little bit about some of these regional bank uh, festivities. Uh, we have our guest this week is Lewis Diamond, president of Diamond Consultants. First of all, Bruce, how you doing? Welcome back. I know you missed a couple of weeks over the past three, but uh, you're here again.
1: Yes, we're back, and we're ready to uh, chat with Lewis. And Diamond Consultants is a big-time third-party or independent recruiting firm uh, that specializes in, you know,
0: focuses on high-end advisors and RAs and the like. Lewis, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great Jeff. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Well, where do you want to start, Bruce? You wanna you wanna to go to the recruiting side or you wanna go uh, you wanna I know you've been writing a lot about First Republic and being acquired by JP Morgan and all that fun stuff. I think we
1: should ask Lewis about his mother first. Okay. Mindy.
2: <laughs> How dare you.
1: <laughs> well we got Mindy's kind of a legend, man, you know, so and also she's she's a longtime industry recruiter, so it's a family business. That's always interesting. And she was one of the you know, she was a, a a woman in a man's world 20, 30 years ago, right? It wasn't easy for women, I would imagine, Lewis, right, in, in the business twenty or thirty years ago. I'm sure your mother has told you stories.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um no, she uh she started this um close to thirty years ago. Um yeah, it was definitely a different a different time across the board. Um I somewhat remember her starting the business um on her on her bedroom floor. Um, just cold calling out of the yellow pages and calling offices to try to get advisors' phone numbers. Very, very different. Um, honestly, she never she never complained or commented on the the glass ceiling or any of the challenges of right. women in the workplace. Her thing was has always just been control what you can control, um, do the next best action, and do right by people, and the rest takes care of itself. And. That, I think, has served us well and has made her and us a leader in the space.
1: Yeah, 30 years ago, that takes us back to the 90s. And the 90s were a different era in the brokerage business, as as we can all imagine. For any, it, any people who definitely was. Seen, what's the Martin Scorsese movie? Um, Wolf of Wall Street, right?
2: <laughs> so. Exactly. What I remember then, too, was when... When we placed a million-dollar producer, that was like the the gold standard. Of course, we'd we'd still be excited about that today, but now we're talking about 10, 12, 15 million-dollar-plus teams that are moving, and the size of the deals have changed dramatically. The contract lengths are probably double what they were, but the deals are also three times or more um, as lucrative as they once were. So it's a very different dynamic. Businesses are bigger, firms are paying more, and there's many more options and platforms available for advisors. So it's a pretty good time to be an advisor if you ask me.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, And just for the nomenclature, when we say producer or a million dollar producer, that means the total annual revenue or fees and commissions or internally at firms it's called GDC or gross dealer concession, the amount of revenue that a financial advisor or a team of advisors Generates each year, correct? Right. So, just for our, our less uh, or our listeners who are not you know as familiar with the industry as some, so I think it's interesting. You mentioned big time producers, and our subject this week is First Republic, which uh, was a, a private uh, a, which was a, a California bank, and it uh, was going to fail, <laughs> was going to go out of business. And then I guess the Fed or you know and, and J.P. Morgan engin- engineered kind of a distressed asset sale over the weekend of that along the way, along with the deposits. Uh, J.P. Morgan is picking up a nice wealth management business that First Republic has, has spent 12 or 13 years really building since it was spun off out of Bank of America in 2010 during that credit crisis. And they've been focused very much on high-end million dollar, two million dollar annual revenue or producing uh, advisors from big firms, right? Could you just tell us about a little bit of background about First Republic's wealth management business? There's something around 200 to 250 financial advisors there as um, as we've tracked. And over the past two months, dozens have left the firm. But if you could just tell us about how First Republic has been doing their business for 10 years or so.
2: Yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, the, Bruce, what you said was spot on. The, the correction I'll make, though, is that their focus and where they were really finding success was five, 10, 15 million dollar plus teams. So they big were teams. Very, yeah, big teams, very, very selective, only looking for the best of the best. Those right. that were growth oriented um, I mean similar pool they were fishing in as as Rockefeller or that Morgan Stanley private wealth and the, the most exclusive firms on Wall Street would go after. So not only did they build this this unit relatively quickly, it really got spearheaded when they acquired Luminous Capital, which was a uh, RIA built by Merrill Private Wealth Breakaways. Uh, I think they bought it in 2015 or so. That really got them started. But they um, but really it was the the quality of folks they were bringing in. There were teams that likely never would have left if it wasn't for First Republic. And the value proposition that First Republic had was pretty special as a high end bank had a really good platform, but was very flexible and nimble, paid very aggressive recruiting deals and was kind of the best of what was out there. And I think what really resonated with the folks was pretty much everyone was on the Barron's and Forbes list and the lowest common denominator was a multi-million-dollar team. And because of the selective club, advisors had a lot more day to day control. So it's honestly it's a it's a shame to see what happened to First Republic. I know it makes our job harder because they were such a compelling option to have in the markets that they were right um, and feel for the advisors that um, that joined many joined relatively recently and aside from their life getting upended and many months and many weeks of stress, um, I think everyone there was very happy and now are either going to JP Morgan nothing wrong with that or kind of backtracking to the firms that they left or the types of firms that they left to begin with.
1: Yeah, and it's announcement on Monday, it's gonna, uh, JP Morgan said it was gonna be part of JP Morgan wealth, you know, wealth management's operation mm-hmm. there. And they do have, you know, a wide, they have bank brokers, they have private bankers, they have, mm-hmm. you know, wealth managers, they have a, they have a variety of uh, financial advisors at JP Morgan, of course. And so it's an interesting acquisition for them I think the wealth management business accounted for it was less than 20% I think of the total uh, operation uh, revenue annually at the First Republic Bank mm-hmm. as it reports as it reported at the end of last year but the advisors there were really kind of the glue because their clients were part of these people who got these uh, their high end clients uh, they were generating a lot of the mortgages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the low interest mortgages that the bank was pitching to its uh, wealthy clients, right?
2: Exactly, and also, yeah, there was. A, I mean, they they figured out the intersection of banking and wealth management better than anyone we've seen. I actually gave a a speech um, to a, a variety of bank executives and used First Republic as a case study for how a somewhat sleepy regional bank was able to really take the wealth management industry by storm. And my premise was, if you pay for the right teams, and the key is the right teams, and figure out a way to cultivate the cross-referral culture in a way that First Republic did, um, special things happen. And so it was kind of this um, kind of virtuous circle where wealth managers are brought in, they bring their wealthy clients, um, they're They go after the deposit base they go after the mortgages and the commercial lending opportunities and then one hand feeds the other and the bankers then start referring business to the wealth advisors so regardless of how much revenue came from wealth management directly it was very very linked to the rest of the organization and again they i mean not like anyone saw these issues coming but they did a lot right. And there's a lot for the team there to be proud of. And I think a lot for others to learn as they look to, to scale a wealth management franchise like First Republic did.
1: Before I kick it over to Jeff, what are one or two things that they did so well there at First Republic? I mean, as you say, uh, they built this thing kind of with a lot of attention to detail. Um, and they attracted some of the best advisors in the business.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, number one was a was discipline on who they hired so again only only picking the very best folks they were picky too with with staying in their lane so only being in markets where they had a big bank presence not looking to open in Chicago or in in um, other major markets where you'd expect right because it was they one wanted in to California
1: and LA I think in New York right
2: yeah it was up and down the coast of California Palm Beach Boston New York um, I think New Jersey New right. York City um, but there's definitely some noticeable um, gaps. Um, so kind of the, the respecting the, the discipline there. So I think that was one, was just discipline and patience. The other thing was um, I, I really respected that they paid up for the right businesses. So instead of a strategy where you look to recruit 500 advisors and every advisor is getting a similar deal, their premise was if we invest in the right teams, bigger teams that have a history of growing, it's better to pay up and be above market for these teams, because they typically have a better ROI, they grow faster, they're bigger consumers of the bank, and it was a winning strategy. It was kind of like an M&A discipline to traditional recruiting. I think that was the second thing. And the third, like I said, was this cross-pollination between wealth management and banking. And a lot of folks who went to First Republic, many people who who wouldn't go because it was a bank, were coming from institutions where banking was a was a pretty mean four-letter word to them. Right. Um, and First Republic kind of did it differently, where it was the best of what a bank was, but with the freedom and entrepreneurial culture that many folks were looking for. So honestly, I can go on and on. There's a lot that they did. right Yeah.
1: It's, it, I think it's an interesting uh, but sad <laughs> autopsy to look at. This week, I've also been thinking about, um, you know, is it better to buy something? You Because know? First Republic could have bought a brokerage firm, a big brokerage firm at any time. Over the years, and then, or is it better to build something, you know? And then you have these unique circumstances surrounding this. You know, I think First Republic is the third regional bank to fail, basically, to go out of business since the regional bank contagion started at March, and basically these smaller institutions are losing customers and losing deposits because of um, a lack of insurance for accounts that are. For these for these large accounts, mm-hmm. um, so Jeff, do you, did you have anything for Lewis today, or what?
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, Louis. Um, first of all, I want to ask you. We talked about your mother. Everybody everybody knows your mother. How long have you been involved at Diamond Consultants?
2: Um, it's been about eight years officially as a uh, being employed by Diamond Consultants, but it's really been uh, pretty much the whole duration of the of the company. So thirty mm-hmm. years or so, um, <laughs> sitting in the back seat listening to to cold calls and. Over dinner, hearing about terms like T12 and production and various branch managers' names. So um, I've, I guess I've learned by osmosis over the years. So you
1: grew up in the business, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, really no doubt. That's no doubt. I grew up in the business. You were basically the first intern, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I guess it was unpaid, but I got college and I got a roof over my head, so I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's how interns used to be, unpaid. <laughs> Schwab Asset Management is proud to support the Investment News Podcast. As one of the nation's largest ETF providers, Schwab Asset Management offers educational resources that can help advisors build on their ETF expertise. Did you know that ETF investors consider cost a top factor in choosing an ETF, or that there is a growing interest in personalization among ETF investors? For more ETF insights, tools, and analysis, visit SchwabAssetManagement.com forward slash ETF know how. That's SchwabAssetManagement.com forward slash ETF know how. Let's talk a little bit about what you would expect any kind of fallout from the First Republic being acquired by, by JP Morgan. I mean, you know, going from a regional bank to JP Morgan, that's a that's a big change, even if they're still gonna stay in Northern California or whatever. But do you expect any additional fallout here of, of brokers wanting to maybe review their options or do you think JP Morgan's gonna sweeten the pot a little bit? I mean what do you anticipate? Yeah, I mean
2: I I, I think JP Morgan came in at the exact right time probably actually the last possible moment that they that they could have and the name and the brand and everything that they are was in my view the anecdote to retaining as many advisors as possible Um, if if it if the First Republic went into receivership like it did and it took a month or three weeks like Silicon Valley Bank took to find a buyer there would have been no one left to to turn off the lights there Um, everyone would have been gone without a doubt um, and it was I think that at this point in time the, these advisors were looking for stability And they're looking for a brand and both of those boxes were checked with JP Morgan So if I had to guess many of the First Republic private wealth teams were probably considering JP Morgan as an option um, Regardless, so JP Morgan coming in um, I mean, I think they're gonna retain pretty much everyone that hasn't left already there There will still be some folks that will assess their options anytime regardless of the deal and there's a there's an acquisition. It's incumbent upon advisors to evaluate their options and make sure they're selecting the buyer from a position of strength, rather than just by going, rather than just than just by doing it default. But by default, I mean same can be said when Sotera bought Securian, LPL bought Waddell and Reed. Um, certainly, um, when uh, B of A bought Merrill, like any any acquisition, um, advisors review their options. But typically retention's quite good. I don't expect this, this situation to be any different.
1: JP Morgan was also one of the firms that a First Republic recruited heavily out of. Yes so some of the Jeff so some of these advisors are already very familiar with JP Morgan and can make up their minds to either return to it or, or, or not go back to a big to you know the world's largest bank or one of the world's largest banks.
0: What I'm saying is if you've already left JP Morgan once, you know there was a reason right. you left in the first place so and, and another thing about all those examples you gave Lewis is that none of those were fire sales like this mm-hmm. situation here you know this was this was you got to believe this is a this was a forced deal yep. you know JP Morgan probably had a little bit of carrot-and-stick action from the federal government to get them to, to to buy First Republic whatever that is maybe we'll never know and
1: they got it very cheap I think too
0: yep yeah how different do you think the 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 lives of the brokers will be over the transition of this and once they become fully JP Morgan again
2: yeah it's 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 hard to say I mean the the business unit that the First Republic private wealth teams are becoming part of is JP Morgan advisors which is we consider it to be a boutique outfit it's the old Bear Stearns unit Um, so on paper um, probably as similar as a platform to First Republic as as there is. It's 400 or so advisors instead of 200. Um, still a very strong banking and lending platform focused on the high net worth. So I think on paper it seems to be relatively similar, but obviously there's a difference between First Republic as the parent versus JPMorgan Chase, the largest bank in the United States. So I think time will tell um, culturally how it's gonna be similar or different to First Republic. Um, I think everyone's expecting that it's going to be um, obviously a little bit different from a operational and compliance um, point of view um, but still it's these folks are joining the um, the relative boutique side of JP Morgan. Um, so I would expect it to be a relatively smooth experience and there'd be a lot of um, a lot of comfort and familiarity with the platform like um, like JP Morgan for the first Republic teams.
0: okay all right we're spending a lot of time talking about those. Those poor, uh, high-producing brokers and how they're going to get by. But uh, what about the clients? <laughs> what does this
1: yes, exactly.
0: ultimately mean to the clients? Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that, I mean, you have to imagine if you're sitting there and you've got a, a broker at First Republic and you're, you know, how can you miss this news? What What's going on there, if you have any sense, Lewis?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a client, this is probably the best possible outcome. Um, I mean the thing with First Republic was assets were with Bank of New York Mill and Pershing So that gave a lot of folks comfort still the cash was swept into the the First Republic um, Bank sweep program. So that was the concern. I think if anything it was more so just you you know Your money's at First Republic. You don't really like the rational side of your brain kind of Let's go and you just hear First Republic and think your money's gonna be lost. So I think for clients I mean, seeing J.P. Morgan as the buyer is the best possible news. It's stability, it's, it's everything that you'd hope for as a client. Um, and then, obviously, in a deal like this, I mean, if assuming the advisors stay put, um, fees don't typically change, the advisor's process is the same, the team's there. So um, I don't even think they're going to have to repaper the accounts. I mean, it's probably it's a different technology platform and it's a different custodian, but I don't believe you have to um, get all new account, account paperwork because it's an acquisition. So I think for clients, this is best news possible. Still, I'm sure a lot of clients left or would consider leaving. Um, but I think for clients that stuck around and were patient with their advisor, um, I think they'll be pretty happy with the outcome here.
0: Okay. That's all I got for you, buddy. Lewis, anything else on the recruiting
1: uh, front? Right now that's of interest, of course. You know, LPL is always a huge recruiter, Raymond James. Mm-hmm. Um, the wirehouses are, are being more active in recruiting Morgan Stanley. Is for example, um, what, what else are you seeing or working on these days that might be of interest?
2: Yeah, I mean, our focus is predominantly in the, the Wirehouse channel. So, working with um, with Wirehouse teams, um, I, I would say we've, and I don't have data to, to support this claim, but I would say we're seeing slightly less breakaway activity. Um, and who's picking up the, the market share then would be like Rockefeller is, is hitting it out of the park. But Morgan Stanley's also just been been a monster with um, I think capturing close to 50% of recruits that left Merrill and UBS in 2022. Uh, we, we run a annual transition report where we where we document that. Um, but we we are seeing a bit of a pullback on breakaways. I think that'll that'll rebound. Um, and where the breakaways are going is somewhat scattered. You still have some folks that want to start in RIA, but the prevailing um, i guess flow of breakaways are two supported platforms whether through an lpl or a sanctuary or a dynasty or raymond james lots and lots of choices out there um yes yeah, so I, I would say it's it's still a very strong recruitment market maybe a little bit less um, movement um, especially with the banking crisis and everything going on in the world um, but our pipeline is strong and we have a lot of active conversations and i would say just about every team is at a minimum trying to gather a plan B. Um, seeing seeing some of the news out of the big firms, whether it's its key leaders leaving, it's major acquisitions, it's rumored acquisitions. Um, there's a lot of reasons to just at least have a plan B and be educated. And that's a lot of what we're working on these days.
1: Oh, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it is kind of a uh, uh, just a different different time uh, in the market. I think with particularly with what's happening in the regional banks. If you're a Group of advisors out there, it would just you know benefit you to have some kind of backup plan.
2: What what I think is going to be interesting, I, I have not heard this from a single advisor, so this prognostication is hopefully false. But <laughs> there was um, something in my mind when I saw all of this was like, will like Raymond James and Stiefel and RBC and basically like the non-major wirehouses, are they going to see a big pullback because all of a sudden advisor sentiment shifts from I want to work for a smaller, more boutique organization, a la First Republic, um, but all of a sudden bigger is better. We have not seen that. Um, I think the, the institutions I mentioned are all very safe and there hasn't, they haven't had any issues, but I would expect there's some advisors at least that maybe would have preferred a smaller organization but now maybe um, feel more comfortable on behalf of their clients with a larger firm. So we'll see if that is a trend that actually materializes. Again, I haven't heard it from a single person. That was just my analytical brain kind of doing its thing.
1: Yeah, and just one more thing. I think it's interesting. You know, we're talking about banks being unstable, but brokerage firms being uh, relatively stable, right? Um, As opposed to in the past when we've seen, you know, uh, like like you the mentioned, Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers, right? Uh, you know, making big bets on mortgage products or, or you know, uh, 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 derivatives and the like. Uh, this time around, it's different. It's the banks that have had problems, and not the major brokerage firms.
2: Yep, exactly. Yeah, but there's always going to be something that we don't that we don't anticipate, um, and there's a reason too in the RIA channel why there's so many private equity sponsors have dipped their toe in the water because wealth management, especially a, a, an RIA is pretty much as safe as they come it's recurring revenue they're not selling products they're offering advice um, very little compliance kind of risk on that side um, so I think I think you're right about that and the the smart money is is also validating what you're what you're talking about
1: yeah uh, yeah I mean it's just charging a fee a fee on assets you know mm-hmm. um, so and and banking is way more complicated than that making yes. money in banking is way more complicated than that so Jeff, you got anything else for uh, Lewis Diamond here today?
0: No, I, I think we've uh, I think we picked his brain quite a bit. Good stuff, Lewis. Thank you. Yeah, very great. Much.
2: My pleasure, guys.
0: All right, thanks,
1: Jeff. Launching every Monday, it's another episode of the Investment News podcast. We want to thank our guest this week, Lewis Diamond. We also want to thank our sponsor, Charles Schwab Asset Management, and our producer, Angelica Hester. You can find the podcast, of course, at investmentnews.com. You can also listen to it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Please follow us on Spotify. If you're still using Twitter, you can uh, reach out to Jeff and me uh, on that platform. Jeff's handle is at Benji Rider, Mine is at BDNewsGuy. Stay tuned because we'll be talking to you next week.